Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Russ and Paulette, your coordination in reading that scripture is only surpassed by your outfit choices today. Well, well done. After hearing that wonderful song, It reminds us how much Jesus cares. It almost seems crass to say anything else. And so rather than begin by opening scripture together, I want to allow for a space. A space for you to experience the loving care that Christ bestows upon your weary and achy soul. So we're just gonna we're just gonna take a few moments to acknowledge the presence of His Spirit and to give thanks because He cares. Amen. Now, you don't know this about me, but of all the seasons in the year, summer is by far my favorite. You have surf and sands, beaches and barbecues, big franks on the grill and baseball on the TV, pool parties and potato salad, Pastor Doug's corn dogs, Camp meeting, where finally our senior pastor returns from his month-long and very deserved time away. We miss you, Randy. We also celebrate during this time the fact that our kids are at home. But if you're like me and you have children who are school-aged, By this point, you are praying for the academic year to start again. (laughs) Because let's face it, you've run out of ideas. Your bank account is depleted. There are no more field trips or excursions. No more outings, no more family members that'll have you over. You are grappling with this interesting combination of heat stroke and sunburn. As a church, this week, I finally, well, I caved. I gave in. I told my kids, we are not going anywhere. But I'm not a totally terrible parent. I had a plan. 
I said, instead, we're going to have a movie marathon, and you get to pick. So I gave Micah and Kai the control, and they immediately introduced me to a long list of movies. Movies that follow basically the same plot. Two strangers meet. They fall in love. They get married in a castle, and they live happily ever after. No other entertainment company has mastered the art of storytelling quite like Disney. Disney has become the second most profitable entertainment company in the world. Their net worth, as of this year, is a measly $97 billion. But the thing is, it doesn't just apply to kids. The magic of wishing upon a star has also infected adults. Because we also want our own happily ever after. Our slice of a fairy tale. What about a wedding ceremony right there in front of Cinderella's castle? Now, that can be yours. For those of you who might be planning a wedding, that can be yours. For a paltry $180,000. You can breathe again, brother. And maybe as a girl, as you dress up and you dreamt of being a princess, maybe you wanted to wear your wedding gown in the amusement park during park hours as you rode Pirates of the Caribbean or the Jungle Cruise or sat through It's a Small World, you can wear your wedding gown at Disney. The fee is $75,000 to do so. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know anything about Disney. That really doesn't apply to me. The mystique has been lost. That is only for children. But that wouldn't quite be fair. You see, in May of 2018, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex, married the commoner Meghan Markle. That ceremony was viewed by about 1.8 billion people worldwide. And I don't know if you remember or if you saw the ceremony on May 19th, 2018, any of you? I saw a couple hands. That's not good, because that was a trick question. You see, Harry and Meghan's wedding was on a Saturday morning. It's good to know that some of you were in front of the TV rather than at church. But alas, the man was not made for the Sabbath. Rather, the Sabbath was made for mankind. You are in the right church today, dear friend, because this is a judgment-free zone. The point is, we all desire deeply our own happily ever after. And with this idea of celebration in mind, we come to the end of our summer 
sermon series. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at seven speeches that God gives to his people as he commands them to build a sanctuary. Last week, my colleague, Joey O, astutely noted that there is an intimate link between these speeches that always begin with the words, then the Lord said, and the seven days of creation. You heard last week about the skilled craftsmen and how their invitation to till and toil was intended to echo God's invitation for our first parents to go and invest themselves in working in the garden. So if the sixth day came last week, then you know what's coming. Loma Linda University Church Sabbath. Sabbath is coming. Sabbath is coming, and so then we are forced to move our eyes away from the summit of that Edenic Sinai and make our way to the plains below, those plains that are cast in the shadow of the sanctuary. But before you relax and you take off your shoes, maybe stretch out in the pew a bit, pass out those Cheerios that are undoubtedly somewhere in our sanctuary, you should feel just a tinge of danger. Danger because if Sabbath and Sinai are attempts at representing and recreating Eden, then danger is afoot. Because even there, in the shadow of the presence of God, we have serpents slithering, we have trees of the knowledge of good and evil, and we have that temptation that we all share, this temptation to be our own gods. I say that because no sooner has God stopped speaking that Israel has started building. But they're not building a sanctuary. Instead, they're constructing a golden calf. Genesis 3 is again found in the pages that comprise the 32nd chapter of Exodus. This is a fallen failure. This is the rebellious act of a a creation that is not at peace in the designs that God has for them. But the good news is that Sabbath, Sabbath is coming. Now, The reality is that even amidst this tragic tale, there is something powerful in our scripture passage for today. Old Testament scholar Terence Fratham probably notes it better than anyone else when he realizes that that story of apostasy is enclosed by two Sabbath references. So chapters 32 through 34 of the book of Exodus are enclosed by Sabbath references. It's almost as if God's mercy and grace are reaching out to Israel even in the midst of its apostasy. 
And the implication is clear. Sabbath is coming. And that means, well, that means that you can pick up the story in spite of your failures, in spite, in spite of your fallings, in spite of our apostasies, you can pick up your story with God right where you left off. That's the kind of God we serve. But the truth is, the truth is that even as we marvel at God's grace, we are forced to recognize and reconcile that we struggle. I feel a great deal of empathy. Don't get me wrong, Loma Linda. I feel a great deal of empathy with those Israelites in the plain of Sinai. You know, their bodies might be free, but their spirits are still enslaved in Egypt. You know, how do I know? Well, consider the text. They take away and take off their jewelry and their gold. God had gifted them these as symbols, as signs of their new status as free people. And what do they do? They take it off and they throw it into the fire. They throw it into the, into the fire in order to create an idol. And we're good. We're good at the art of idol making, aren't we? And there God is reminding us Sabbath is coming. And there God is pushing us back to the sanctuary. And there God is trying desperately for us to recognize that the purpose of us coming to this place week after week after week is that God is trying to gift you a new identity. And nowhere can you build a new identity faster than when you construct something together. Do you remember how excited we were as that building right to my left began to take shape? Or maybe you were here when we made that faithful walk from Centennial to our renewed and remodeled sanctuary. Maybe you can still remember that other walk when we left the heights on top of the mountain here on campus in order to start worshiping in this church. And maybe you can still, still feel and remember with a bit of nostalgia the energy in the air. Because nothing builds community quicker than constructing something together. And that's why God tells them, build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. This idea of identity makes us grapple with the realization that what we have happened to us is nowhere near as important as what we do communally. A writer, poet, an activist, the British John of Ruskin Thinking about this issue of community and work reminds us with these words, 
Ruskin says, the highest rewards for a man's toil is not what he gets for it, from it, but rather what he becomes from it. And God is trying to have you become a people. A people. So as I languished through that series of movies that were one princess after another, wishing upon a star and dreaming about when Prince or Princess Charming will come, I learned something. So I want to share the first thing I learned, or rather the first thing Disney taught me this week. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. In other words, the sanctuary, that passage that we've been living in for the past six weeks, it's not about construction, it's about community. And any time a doctrine is used in order to divide the community of Christ, we've got a problem with the doctrine. We need to relook at it and rethink it. Well, they're up there. They're up there dreaming about this idea of Sabbath. They're up there wishing and hoping. They're up there trying to recognize the moment when they'll get their piece of the fairy tale in that land that flows milk and honey. And when, while they are, they build an idol. You know, I feel empathy for them. I can just picture it. Moses and Joshua begin to descend from the mountain, and as they do, they hear the screams. And Joshua the soldier thinks that war has broken into the camp. But Moses knows better. He knows that those screams are not sounds of distress, but rather of debauchery. And when he witnesses what the people have done, he is filled with righteous indignation. With that holy fury that, let's face it, us religious types love. Without thinking much, he throws the tablets on the floor. And they shatter. And for the briefest of moments, we are left in suspense. We are left in suspense because it seems, it seems like the covenant has been broken. But Sabbath, Sabbath is coming. Let's go back to the beginning where it all started, the book of Genesis. For God, it's the end of his creative work, the seventh day. For human beings, it's the beginning of their work, their first day. It's almost as if God has chosen, has selected this special temple in time, an ellipsis of intimacy. 
an ellipsis of intimacy that's, that exists on both sides of sin. Sabbath is coming. And so as he rails against his people, Moses understands one thing. He understands that for true believers, for true believers, Loma Linda, that have understood that what matters is the builders, not the building, indignation has to give way to intercession. And so he prays. He prays perhaps the most bold prayer in all of Scripture. You can find it. It's right there. Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. But now, speaking to God about the people, Moses says, please forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out from your book. From that book that you have written, forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out from the book you have written. That is a bold prayer, church, particularly for religious communities that when we give, that when we give in to righteous indignation, we're more concerned with who gets left out of the book. So here's the second thing Disney taught me this week. Ohana? Ohana means family. And family means no one gets left behind. The Bible is not our book about God. It's God's book about us. And today the invitation is for the church that up to this moment has decided to retreat into the building to go out, to go out and become intercessory, to go out and pray bold prayers, to go out and say, Lord, we know that the world is sinful, but forgive their sins, and if not, blot us out from the book. You know, Loma Linda, and Adventism in Loma Linda can be known for a myriad of things. You know, we can become known for our awesome haystacks. We can become known for the fact that we are a blue zone. We can be known for our amazing advances in medical science and for baby Faye. But I wonder what it would look like if Adventism in Loma Linda is known for a staunch commitment, a relentless call to intercession. To recognize that our duty towards the world is to say, Father, forgive them. And it's right there, written into our DNA, it's part of our legacy. There's a book that we often quote about, but we never really think about. And a woman that too often has become weaponized instead of listened to. I'm, of course, referring to Patriarchs and Prophets and what Ellen White writes about this particular passage. She says, In the prayer of Moses, our minds are directed to the heavenly records in which the name of all men are inscribed and their deeds, whether good or evil, are faithfully registered. The book of life contains the names of all who have ever entered 
the service of God. If any of these depart from him, from him and by stubborn presence and sin become finally hardened against the influences of his Holy Spirit, their names will be in the judgment. And they will be blotted from the book of life and they themselves will be devoted to destruction. Moses realized how dreadful would be the fate of the sinner, yet if the people of Israel were to be rejected by the Lord, pay attention now. He desired his name to be blotted out with theirs. He desired his name to be blotted out with theirs, for he could not endure to see the judgments of God fall upon those who had been so graciously delivered. Dwellers of the sanctuary, Sabbath keepers, we need more grace. We need more grace because rest is synonymous with grace. about it you cannot achieve rest through force you can only accept it by faith well come to think about it Jesus is also synonymous with Sabbath for really it's only when you find him that you can truly rest what was it that he said Come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you Sabbath. Linda and I, though, Linda and I have really different approaches to rest. I'm a night owl, and because I'm a night owl, I've suffered for years with insomnia. And that has caused me to develop a plan and a protocol before I go to bed that is meticulous, religious, and quite frankly, a bit annoying. So it starts with prayer, a bit of mindfulness, some meditation maybe, just a tinge of melatonin, and after that, I'm still awake. Linda's approach to sleep is much simpler. There's only two steps. Step one, lay down. <laughs> Step two, fall asleep. She tells me that she sleeps like that like a child in the arms of her savior because she has a clean conscience. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what that says about me. Nonetheless, night after night, I look at her. And it's a look of a, that is mixed, one part awe, one part jealousy. She's just so peaceful. 
When she wakes up, I ask her how she slept, and she simply quotes the words of the psalmist. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to the ones he loves. <laughs> and I see her so peacefully at rest. And then I realize, I realize that you can't achieve rest. You can't earn rest. You can't complete rest. You can only celebrate rest. Sabbath is coming. But there's a problem. I mean, let's not be naive, church. There's a problem. Because I want to produce more. I want to achieve more. I want to earn more. Isn't that the sad reality of our time? Isn't that the temptation of the golden calf? Isn't that the plague of a society that often mistakes and misunderstands, confuses prize with value? One of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry, thinking about these things, says, it is easy to imagine that the next division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. Sabbath is coming. but I still want to be in control. Nowhere is that better found than in a 2013 ad campaign that Sprint ran. The slogan was quite simple. I have to know I need to be unlimited. And there you have this, this people trying to be unlimited, forgetting that Sabbath is more than just a marker of your theological ducks in a row. That sanctuary is not about geography, it's about intercession. That the only date that truly matters is that date when Christ climbed upon that tree. See, we've, we've fallen into this erroneous beliefs that says that our job is for six day, days to try and master our environment. The invitation of Sabbath is for you to master yourself. One of you shared a really delightful little book with me written by Tish Harrison Warren. The title of the book is Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she describes this gift of grace, which is Sabbath. 
in the following way. Sleep? Sleep is not only a confession of our limits. It is also a joyful confession of God's limitless care for us. Now, you thought... You thought that you came to church on Sabbath because you wanted to be theologically correct. I'm telling you today that we come to church on Sabbath because every week we get to play a dress rehearsal of what eternity is going to look like. We get to play a dress rehearsal of what eternity is going to look like. This is it, my dear friends, and so I share with you the third thing that Disney taught me this week. I want you to say it with me, though. My kids are going to love it. Hakuna Matata. Can you say that? Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. You see, we, get, we have it wrong. We think that the Sabbath is the litmus test for the remnant. No, 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 no. The Sabbath is a celebration of a life and a resurrected life at that. It's a dress rehearsal for eternity. So where does that leave us? Well, we can continue celebrating the day, thinking that we are beasts of burden. We can continue enjoying the interlude, a respite amidst the busyness of our lives that will recharge us to go and be more productive. But to do that would be to fall prey to this desire to melt and mold idols in our own image. We don't celebrate a day. We celebrate a person. A person that has told us in the text that was so masterfully read, remember. Remember to keep the Sabbath as a sign that I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. Loma Linda, let me ask you a question. It's an easy question, really. What makes you holy? Is it Adventism? Is it our knowledge of the sanctuary doctrine? Maybe the prophecies? Is it these healthy lifestyle decisions that we make? Is it that we come into church on the wrong day? Or is it him? You see, on Sabbath, we don't celebrate the completion of our work. We celebrate the completion of his work in us. What was it that he said? What was it that he said while he was on the cross? And that's right. It is finished. Here is 
your own slice of happily ever after. Your piece of the fairy tale. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.